brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Stand by. Three, two, one. The following program comes from executive producer Lillian Garcia. Every athlete is on this quest. Every performer dives in head first, battling real-life challenges and overcoming obstacles in an effort to make their dreams reality. reality. Singer, songwriter, 15-year WWE host Lillian Garcia was the first woman to ever announce WrestleMania. And the first to launch her own podcast, which gives you an all-access pass to the human interest stories of elite athletes and extraordinary entertainers. Now, let's embark on another fascinating journey of chasing glory with your host, Lillian Garcia. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is Chasing Glory and another episode coming to you straight from Hollywood, Hollywood, California. I hope you guys are having an awesome, awesome week. It is the beginning of the week. I hope you actually had a great weekend. I was back in Salt Lake City. Oh my gosh, so much happened. I got so much to share with you and I will be doing that in the weeks coming ahead because there is a lot going on that is so exciting to make you part of it. So I will be sharing that with you, but I just want to... First of all, I want to thank you, as always, for joining me right here on Chasing Glory, for following the show on Instagram, Chasing Glory Podcast, and myself, at Lillian Garcia on Instagram and Twitter, and Lillian Garcia official fan page on Facebook. Thank you for all your requests on cameo.com slash Lillian Garcia, requests for birthday messages or anniversaries or ring announcements, anything special that you want for your loved ones, for your friends, or for yourselves. In fact, I've also really loved doing the inspirational quotes or the inspirational sayings that you guys have wanted me to do for a loved one. So thank you for that. And just for definitely subscribing and reviewing the show and definitely for the five stars. And don't forget that on Saturdays, we post five star Saturdays. That's right. We post your reviews. So all you have to do is go to Apple podcast and make sure that you put a review. We will post those on five star Saturday. And then from those, 
is we actually pick a winner every single week, and then that gets put into the drawing for a monthly winner, and that is for a free 8 by 10 autographed by me and also a free T-shirt. So this week, actually, I'm going to go ahead and get it right into the review. Let's do that. The review of the week. I really appreciate, again, all your reviews. And in fact, before I read this, I want to tell you that I was actually at an autograph signing and it was so special. This one guy came up to me and he said, you know, I'm going to write this up, but I wanted to tell you first in person that I've had two DUIs in my life. And I thought that that meant that everything was over for me. I thought that that meant that I really couldn't achieve anything else because it was going to be like this black mark on my record. But after listening to Matt and Jeff Hardy on your podcast, I realized that it doesn't have to define me and that I still have a way that I can make a name for myself and actually use it as a story of something that I struggled in, a mistake that I made and something that I overcame and help others through my story. So he said, I want to thank you for the podcast because it's definitely given me a different perspective and a different outlook in life. And man, that was incredible to get that kind of news. That is what Chasing Glory is all about. So the winning review of the week goes to Michael Latina. Well, I like the last name, especially because I am Latina. <laughs> all right. It says one of the podcast, one of the best podcasts out there. I absolutely love the podcast. These WWE superstars are people that I look up to, to be able to hear their stories and come to find out that they go through struggles like everyone else makes them so much more relatable. I love the episodes with Ember Moon, Zelina Vega, Bianca Belair, Carmen, Mella, Rusev and Lana, Alexa Bliss, Mustafa Ali, Mandy Rose, Sonia Deville, Peyton Royce, Billy Kay, Becky Lynn, Charlotte, and my hero, Sasha Banks. I can relate to those who are introverted and feel socially awkward at times. I felt that way for the longest time and still do. It makes me feel like I'm not alone in having those thoughts from people that I look up to the most. Love listening to their stories and how they overcame their obstacles. It's very inspiring to me. So thank you so much. Keep up the good work, Lillian. You are the best. Well, I got to tell you, Michael, thank you for that. And I hope that by now you're not feeling alone. I hope you guys are continuing to listen to past episodes, even if you don't know the person. Let me challenge all of you to listen to episodes, even if you don't know the person. And what I mean by that, as you know, I've sprinkled in other people in there from outside of the wrestling world, like Jay Shetty. Listen to his story. I think you're really going to connect with him for sure. I've got people coming up that are so inspirational and there's always a lesson that you can learn from each one of them. But speaking of that last week, talking about somebody that I learned a lot from and I kept reading your reviews and I love that you guys were feeling the same way. You all thought a certain way of my guest, Leo Rush. A lot of you thought because his character, man, he lives his character so much. And what I mean by that is he comes across as being exactly what the character on TV is. So I think that for people that don't know Leo, they think that that's the way that he is 
off TV, that that is his everyday life. And when you listen to his episode, you realized, oh my gosh, no, this guy has had a lot of struggles. He shared a lot, things that he's never talked about. In fact, when he talked about making the mistake, for example, when he tweeted what he tweeted with uh, Emma and the situation there and if you haven't heard it yet, make sure that you go back and you listen because we do discuss that whole thing that happened. And that actually spiraled him in such a dark place that he did not want to be on earth anymore. Very scary when somebody's feeling so bad about themselves. And I don't know if you've had experiences like this already in your lives and hopefully you never do. Hopefully, hopefully you never do. But if you have, and you've been to a place where you've made a mistake and you feel so bad about something and you feel like, man, the only answer is for me not to be here anymore. I hope that now when you listen to somebody like him, you will see that that's not the answer and that there is a way through it. And he leaned out to Paige, which was so beautiful because Paige had been through so much and Paige was at a similar situation where she also uh, had endured so much that she didn't want to be here anymore. So I love that they leaned on each other and he was able to ask her for some help, some guidance in that. So I definitely thank you, Leo, for being so open and Oh man, I, I really wish you a lot of luck in your continued quest to continue finding yourself, finding who you truly are and dealing with everything that you've had to endure in your life. So the best to him. And thank you for helping us celebrate Black History Month by being on Chasing Glory. And that moves me into actually, oh, actually, before I say that, I also want to thank the newest member of our team. So, so excited. If you guys have been tuning in on Mondays when I drop the show on my social media and also on Russell and Flow and also whoever the guest is, we actually release a video. And that video now is being produced by Josiah Williams. This man is so, so talented, extremely talented. He did the video with Bianca Belair, and now he's part of the Chasing Glory team, and he's doing videos for Chasing Glory with the guests. And he created the song for Leo, amazing. I think it should be Leo's newest theme song, but that's just my take on it. I love it. I really do. If you missed it, make sure that you go back to my social media, go back to the Monday, and you will see the video. It's like a, a one minute teaser. It is unreal. Such a talented, talented guy. Russell and flow is his name on Instagram. Check him out. Josiah, thank you for doing this for chasing glory. So excited to have you as part of the team and can't wait to see what you create every single week. I just know it's going to be incredible. So thank you for that. All right. So now from black history month, we are moving forward to women's History Month. That's right. It is time to showcase the women and showcase what more they're doing. And I wanted to start it with somebody that's actually been a pioneer in the wrestling world. And it is none other than Molly Holly. When I say that this is one of the most purest spirits, what a beautiful soul this woman has. I love her to death. I had 
amazing, amazing years working with her at WWE. And what I loved is that we've stayed in touch since. And she came over actually to the studio, which was great because we got to sit one-on-one with each other and just talk about life and things that have happened to her that she has not talked about. She loves the concept of the show. And she said, I really wanted to give you the full story I knew some things that she'd gone through. Obviously, she confided with me over the years over some of the things that she was dealing with with her husband, but I didn't know all the details. And of course, it wasn't my place to share her story. I definitely, you know, gave her the platform. I told her, look, if you want to talk about it, um, then I think a lot of people could actually benefit from it. And she was all for it. So to start... Women's History Month. And also what I had shared with you guys earlier this year when I said that I actually wanted to start doing a Where Are They Now episode, try to do one every single month. I definitely wanted her to share the things that she's got going on now too after wrestling and after all the years of spending at WWE and also WCW. Because remember, she was at WCW. So again, it's Oh, one of those things that you're going to get to know Molly Holly in such a different way. And I know you're going to get some lessons from this. And I know that somebody out there is going to resonate with this. And if you hear this and you go, wow, I know someone that's going through this. I need to forward this to them. Please do. Please share it. All right. Share it. Tell a friend. Spread the word. All right. So Let's just go ahead and go on. Without further ado, here is Molly Holly's Journey of Chase and Glory. Today, Nora Greenwald is known as one of the most respected women's wrestlers of all time, but she earned that distinction by strength and determination. Growing up, a dream of hers was to become an American gladiator, so she became interested in both gymnastics and powerlifting. Through the recommendations of friends, she decided to take up pro wrestling training just for the fun as a hobby. After getting serious about her wrestling career, she would drive from her hometown in Forest Lake, Minnesota to Tampa, Florida to train under WCW superstar Dean Malenko. After honing her craft under the Malenko learning tree, Nora would begin wrestling as Starla Saxton and would appear on both WWE and WCW programming before getting the opportunity to be partnered with a legend. Upon the recommendation of Malenko and accomplished women's wrestler Malaya Hosaka, Nora would join WCW where she became the valet for the macho man Randy Savage and would be known as Miss Madness. Her run in WCW would last a little over a year, but during that time would train other women at the WCW power plant and wrestle occasionally on WCW TV. Nora embarked on the next chapter of her life by signing with the WWE full-time, where she became known as Molly Holly, the on-screen cousin of Bob and Crash Holly. They would compete in various intergender tag team matches, and she would even win the WWE Hardcore Championship at WrestleMania 18. Although Molly would have the sweet and wholesome look, she would become an on-screen villain in 2002, which led her to winning the WWE Women's Championship when she defeated Trish Stratus at King of the Ring. 
Molly would remain a pivotal part of the women's division during a time when women's wrestling was at an extreme high level with names such as Trish Stratus, Lita, Gail Kim, and Victoria, just to name a few. She would defeat Gail Kim to earn her second women's championship before losing it to Victoria, which led her to having a historic hair versus title match at WrestleMania 20 in the hollowed halls of Madison Square Garden. Due to the result of her losing, Victoria would shave Molly's head bald, which Molly has said has been the highlight of her career. She would end up leaving the WWE in the spring of 2005, but would continue to make sporadic appearances in wrestling. Most recently, she was part of history when she was one of the participants in the first ever Women's Royal Rumble, as well as competed in the first all-women's WWE pay-per-view, Evolution. Throughout her years, she has focused much of her time on different charities and missionary work and has raised money for the Special Olympics. She's also involved with a faith-based addiction recovery center. It doesn't get much better both in and outside the ring than this future Hall of Famer. It's about to get real, raw, and inspiring with Molly Holly. Well, look who's here with me on Where Are They Now episode, which I love doing these episodes now. Welcome, Molly Holly, to Chasing Glory. Thank you so much for having me, Lillian. Oh, it's so great. You know, I actually had you uh, for a little bit. It was like one of those Royal Rumble, leading up to, I think it was to the Royal Rumble, where I had like a collaboration of all the different uh, oh, female yeah, superstars, that's remember? Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we caught up. It was like a 10 minute segment. Yes, well, thanks for having me back. <laughs> of course, everybody was actually commenting back. They were like, can you have them for the longer version? I want to know Aww. her story. Oh, that's so nice. Yes. You don't know how much you've impacted so many people. And I think you're such a humble person, but sometimes I feel like you're too humble. Aww. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Do you realize how many people you've affected? I, I don't know. I mean, it was, I'll tell you, when Beth Phoenix thanked me publicly at the speech, that was like a huge thing for me. I was like crying. It was, it was really nice. So, I mean, of course it's nice if somebody mentions it, but yeah. Well, I got to mention this right now. I actually talked about this in another podcast. Uh, somebody had brought up the fact they were like, didn't you say that Molly Holly actually helped you find God again? And I said, yep, she did. Mm -hmm. And I, I'll never forget, we were in Boston. And I remember I was going through a really tough time. And uh, I was going through therapy and all of that. And, and I remember explaining that to you. And you said to me, you know, therapy's okay. If there's, there's nothing wrong with therapy, but don't forget that God is there for you. And I remember looking at you going, wow, I've kind of forgotten all about it. Like I was born Christian, you know, I was a Catholic, all of that, and I went to church and everything, but it, it fell out of my life for a while. Mm -hmm. And having you say that, and then going down that path, I have to say it right here and now, thank you. Oh yeah, no problem. I mean, I, I could see God's goodness in you and I know that he just pours out his love on you and I just wanted you to like open your eyes and see all that he has for you and all, all the love. He's just like wanting to wrap his arms around you and welcome you, you back to him. And, and so it's been oh. awesome to see you grow spiritually throughout these years. <laughs> Thanks. You know. Have you always had God in your life? Um, well, I was raised going to church, but I just accepted it as like a cultural responsibility. Like, oh, this is what we do on Sunday because this is what my parents tell me I'm supposed to do. And then I actually like 
accepted Christ for myself and became a believer myself as a 14 year old. So um, I had an experience where I really felt God's presence and, and realized like, oh, this isn't just a story in a book. Like this is something that uh, can affect my life personally. And so I, I started like an actual relationship with Jesus on my own, separate from what I was taught um, as a 14 year old. Can, is it an, you said there was an experience. Like, yeah. Can you tell me about so that? So I went to this Bible camp and they did a thing called an altar call where they say, you know, like, just know that you could die tonight. And if you did die, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? And it said, if you want to accept Jesus, you know, come down to the altar. And I remember that I was like sweating and my heart was pounding. And I felt like God was trying to like pull me out of my chair to come up to the altar. But I didn't because I was thinking, well, what if I like make this commitment to God, but then I'm the same? Like, what if I'm still sinning? And what if I can't change? And then I'm, then I'm like spitting in God's face somehow, or somehow I'm just like lying to God. And so I didn't go up. And for like three days, I could not, get, I was like, I felt so unsettled. Like I'd lay in bed tossing and turning and thinking like, I don't know if I died, what if I would go to heaven? Like, I have no idea. Um, I mean, I, I haven't done anything like super terrible, but I haven't really decided for myself that I want a life in Christ. And so um, in my bedroom, I went to plug in a lamp and I actually got electrocuted. What? <laughs> and... Um, I, so I got electrocuted, it hurt extremely bad. And I thought I could have just died. Like, like death is real. Yeah. And I knelt down on the floor with my hands still just like throbbing in pain. And I said, God, I don't want to spend eternity without you. Like I want to live my life and I'm scared and I don't know if I'm gonna do it right, but just help me out. And so I gave my life to Christ and this, that unsettling weight that I had felt just like lifted off of me and I'd never felt so free inside and so like filled with hope and joy and peace. And from that moment on, I've just known that my life belongs to him. Wow, that is so powerful. And I, you know, it's wild because I never had an, like an experience, like, you know, it's like you kind of, believe because everyone tells you to believe right mm -hmm. and then I remember that I was actually in Canada and I was watching of all things remember the movie with uh, Gia Jane with oh, Demi yeah, Moore Demi remember Moore, that yeah. right mm -hmm. so I'm sitting there watching this movie and it was really impactful like to me I was like wow what a strong woman she's so awesome in this and and the power you know and I was trying to break through some things during that time and then the movie finishes and I go outside on the balcony and I'm looking out and now at where I was, it has the, the frozen lake, just completely frozen. And the moon was out and it was shining down on it. My entire body started like tingling. Like I felt the presence of God there and tears streaming down my face. And I literally received the message like, you're gonna get everything that you like have been asking for as far as like what the dreams that you have, yeah. but you have to get ready for them. And I couldn't stop crying. Aww. And it's so wild when you receive that. Right. Like, has that stayed with you? Cause I know that stayed with me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even, I mean, I continue to like nurture the relationship, you know, so I, I'm, I read my Bible and I go to church and do things that help and, and also connect with people who are also spiritually minded because I do want to continue to grow in my faith. And so, but as far as like that deep down peace, that has definitely stuck with me throughout the yeah. years. What has that done for you having God? Oh, well, it's, 
I mean, it's affected my life in a lot of ways in that you know, there's been some pretty tough situations like any person would have in life. And to have that deep hope of knowing that regardless of the circumstance, that you're loved and that you're forgiven and that um, that all of this is temporary, mm -hmm. um, that has definitely given me a lot of peace in, in tough times. It's wild because I actually had a podcast with Alistair Black. And for any of you that haven't heard the Alistair Black episode, I encourage it. It really impacted a lot of people. And we had a whole conversation about religion. And, you know, his point of view is that he doesn't know how to believe. He just, it hasn't been present in his life. And he doesn't understand how someone can think that there's God at the other end. And look, I respect that. If somebody feels that way, you know, that's his point of view, right? Um, I told him that for me, God brings me a lot of peace and comfort and joy, and it's just something that it feels good to know he is there. So is there anybody that you've been in? And by the way, guys, if you hear a lot of horns and buzzing or whatever, we're in Hollywood. <laughs> we're recording this. We're in the roof deck um, of this beautiful place, and we're just chilling out, and we're catching up. She's in town, so I wanted to grab her. But, uh, yeah, in case you guys are hearing any of that. Um, but anyway, is there anybody in that has come your path and said, I don't believe. I don't believe at all. And, you know, I don't know how you can believe. And what do you say to them? Yeah, well, one of my best friends, Sean Devari, you know, wrestler, um, you know, we've talked about it lots of times because he's like, you know, I wish I had a God that could absolve my sins or somehow give me peace. He's like, but I don't know how, you know, like I don't get it. And, and I told him, I said, well, if you really want that deep peace and you want to know that maybe there's something supernatural beyond what we can see on this earth, I said, what you could do is just start out by saying, hey, God, somewhere, anywhere, like show me a sign and just kind of open yourself up to or open up your heart to the possibility that God might want to speak directly to you. And as soon as you make that decision to just be open, even if it feels ridiculous, I believe that God will re reveal himself to you and that he will give you signs and lead you towards him so that whatever you, if you were closed off before due to pain, I mean, honestly, sometimes it's embarrassing to be associated with Christianity for the fact that you'll see these extremists doing yeah. these you know, anti-gay things or whatever type of like ridiculousness that's like totally opposite of Jesus, um, you know, and then it's going to be embarrassing. So if sometimes people might have just certain barriers because of what they've seen on television, or maybe they're raised in a really strict religious background where they just weren't shown love and grace and mercy. And, and um, so I just say, hey, forget about what you saw on the TV, forget about what your parents told you. Like just, even if you feel like you're talking to no one or an imaginary person, if you just say, okay, God, if you're real, prove it, like show me. And I, I believe that when you keep your heart and mind open, that, that you will be exposed to the supernatural. Yeah. Like you can't be cynical about it and go, yeah, like, like you're really here. Sure. Uh huh. You know, I don't think you can. I think yeah. you really have to be like, no, I really want to know if you're here. Yeah. And so it's worth being curious. I mean, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, I think for anything about religion, I just feel like it's important for people to be open, to talk about it and not to try to sway anybody mm. and have a, just an open conversation, you know, mm. where people, two people can have, you know, converse, yeah. that's it. Sure. And be respectful, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is what I feel like, you know, Alistair and I had, and I've had other conversations with, you know, atheists and all that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, you know, whatever works for you. Right, right. <laughs> right. I just know that, again, I just want to thank you because you helped me. You don't 
understand mm -hmm. you saying that to me, the difference you have made in my life from that day. Like I just right now teary eyed Aww, because thanks. you you did. You reminded me. And that's a true friend. You've been a really true friend throughout the years. So, Thank you. you know. I love doing this show because I go back and I really do some research on the people that I'm going to interview. And as I'm sitting there doing research on you, I'm like, I didn't know this. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know this. I didn't, yeah, I've known her for like 15 years. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Actually, it's been like 18 years wow. because you came in 2000. I did come in 2000. And I started, yeah, and I started in 99. But yeah, we've known each other since 2000. <laughs> wow. Um, all right. So tell me your story because I was just so fascinated. First of all, I didn't even know you had two brothers. Yes, I have two brothers. Uh, Chancy is the middle child. I'm the oldest. Uh, Luke is the youngest. Chancy did the traditional uh, go to college, get married, have kids, you know, all that. He does that traditional thing. My younger brother, Luke, did the uh, snowboarding and chill with your friends thing and he's still doing that oh, <laughs> so yes. he's kinda like, I don't know if you call it like a ski bum except he snowboards or whatever you want to yeah. call it you know but um but he's uh very happy as a, a single dude um he lives out west and um yeah so they're even though my brother lives out west like we're all really close like my yeah. family we all get along really well how was it for you being the older I loved it. I am naturally bossy, and to <laughs> have some type of authority as the elder uh, was was great. So how far yeah. apart? Um, eighteen months. We're all eighteen months apart. Oh, okay. Not that yeah. far apart. No, yeah. no, we're pretty close. Minnesota, yes. so cold. It's true. It was thirteen <laughs> degrees when I left my house yesterday, and Thanks. so I've just I love that we're outside on a rooftop deck right now. I'm like, yes, <laughs> breathing some fresh air. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's what uh, LA is all about. You know, <laughs> it's so funny because it rained for a few days, and we were like, what is this thing falling from the sky? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, how are you as a child, like school-wise? Yeah, a very average. Um, I mean, in elementary school, they called me high potential. Um, so I did have a couple of special classes, but by middle school, I was like, eh, it's for the birds. And really? I really didn't like school. No, it just, um, I felt like so many things they were teaching me had nothing to do with my future or real life. And I was just agitated. I just thought oh. this is such a waste of time. Um, so yeah, I, I would say I was an average student, like B's, a couple C's, you know, maybe an A in FIAT or arch or something. Um, yeah. In high school, I gave very little effort. I just wanted to graduate and move on with my life so that's why I didn't I chose not to go to college because I was like why would I pay to do something <laughs> I hate like this that sounds terrible so so yeah I, I'm oh not my God, all this school. time I thought you were like the studious no. uh the one the book smart the no. like oh wow <laughs> seriously you come off that way you oh. come off in the um I've got everything together and I'm just super organized and I'm just gonna yeah. study 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 yeah no not into school what did you have a favorite subject uh FIAD and in oh, fact I wanted yeah. to be a FIAD teacher and then they said oh, you got to go to college for that I was like ah never mind <laughs> wow no FIAD physical, physical education, education? Yeah, okay that's, yeah. in Minnesota, that's what we call it oh got so, it yeah. got it oh my god that's so funny what more school <laughs> yeah. well actually that's why I actually wanted to be a heart surgeon oh. but when I saw how many years I'd right. have to be in med school I was like uh that's okay thanks I mean I didn't mind I went to college so I didn't mind school but I, I 
I definitely love that. I listened to my dean who said, pick something that you absolutely love. And I told him, well, I love entertainment. And he goes, I know you love to be in front of the camera because I was in the band and all that. Yeah. He goes, but pick something that behind that and learn the behind the camera, the behind the scenes. So I learned producing, directing, oh, wow. editing. So now, like with the show, with this, you know, Chasing Glory, it's really helped me. And I, I tell anybody who's out there going to college, pick something that you absolutely love. Right. Because I did great. I ended up cum laude because I loved it. That's right. the difference. That's the same thing as pick something in your future and your career that you absolutely love because you'll be great at it. Right. I know that you did not choose wrestling as your goal. No, I chose being a sandwich artist at Subway as my goal. <laughs> I'm not, what? I'm dead serious. I, so I, I was very anti-materialistic and anti, like I just saw all these people so money hungry and like trying to drive the fancy cars. And, and it t in my mind, I just believed that the purpose of life is so much deeper than anything a degree or a paycheck could bring me. And I know people say that even when I was 18, I was like 40, you know, like I was, but I, I've just really thought I can live a fulfilling purpose-filled life making $4 and 25 cents making sandwiches. And, um, and I really felt like that's what I was doing. Like I, I was okay with that. Um, it just didn't, the money and, prestige and stuff just like didn't really matter to me. Where did that come from? Did you, how, how did your parents raise you? Cause that came from somewhere. So my dad is a blue collar worker and my mom was a housewife. Um, I think that some of the negative things that they, that I kind of absorbed from them was that wealthy people were greedy and evil. Mm. And the blue collar workers were the little man that got crapped on by the, you know, rich, whatever yeah. corporate people and that it's really about hard work and it's um so i think that somewhere in my mind i thought that wealth equaled evil yeah, yeah. um which of course then i get into show business and i meet millionaires who are like some of those loving giving generous people and i'm like oh maybe my parents weren't right yeah. but i think that part of it was that i thought that wealth was evil and the other part of it was that with my faith like i really did see things on a spiritual level and i really do believe that um, our purpose doesn't necessarily equate with a certain dollar amount. Mm -hmm. So do you still feel that way? Or now that you've been in the WWE, you've actually had a good yeah. income? Yep. So mm -hmm. now when I was in the WWE, I could give away 60% of my income. And I was like, but did you? I gave away 40% of my income. Okay. Wow. And I felt guilty that I wasn't giving away more because I knew that I could. Wow. So that other person, the 20 other percent I was investing into my retirement. Yeah. But, um, so yes, I gave away at least 40% of my income while in show business. And, and I thought like, wow, this is so cool that like, I can find out that somebody has a specific need, whether it's a church that has a need or someone going through tough times with a health problem or a divorce or whatever. And like, I can give money away and it doesn't hurt me. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's not difficult, it's not hard. Like even, so, you know, Beth Phoenix was like, oh, Nora paid for my yeah. pro wrestling. It was like $2,000, which Still. when you make a lot of money, it's not that much when you're making a lot. And so I thought, well, of course I can give her $2,000. Like that's like one day's wage or whatever. Um, you know, it didn't, it didn't matter yeah, but that you much. did it. Like, do you understand? I mean, I, I see you're making it like a small thing, but even even there are some wealthy people that won't even give two thousand dollars. 
So it is because you're in a perfect position, Nora, to become wealthy. I want you to become wealthy, 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 because you're the perfect person who will turn around and then you'll live comfortably, but then you'll give away a lot and help so many people. So I think that's the same way as I look like I want to cheer for myself to make a lot of money because I will turn around and help people. That's why I would say money is actually a great thing because you can decide who you can help, how you can help. Right. So for you to turn around and do that for her, that's amazing. And you made such an impact for her. So continue to tell me, like, are you starting to see though? The yeah, so that- now I'm saying like, oh, money doesn't have to be evil. It doesn't have to mean greed, like making a lot of money. You can just bless more people. Yeah. Um, I feel like now I, I have a retirement account and I have zero debt, you know, my cars and my house, like everything's paid for. And, um, and now I'm able to give away like 20% of my income, um, which isn't as much, but I do f- still feel, I feel like my life is super good. Like I'm, I feel financially secure and I feel like I can still be generous within my allowance. I, I guess I don't, I don't have any goals now of like, I like, I like my ordinary life. Like I, yeah. I don't really, I can't think of anything I want to do that would generate more income. Um, I'm not really into the show business thing anymore. And I don't like school, which typically a certain amount of education would bring you a higher paycheck. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I feel super content. And like, I don't know. I always feel like maybe I shouldn't be content. Maybe I should always be striving for something better. I just am really enjoying this season of my life right now. And, and that's okay too. But if you could turn around and there's a school, a whole school that you could fund like Oprah Winfrey does. Yeah. So I do have some ideas. Um, so right now there is a housing shortage for people with criminal records that also want to be the sole caretaker of their children. So what happens is that someone gets, um, comes out of prison or whatever, and they, um, gain custody of their child, but because of a criminal record, there are very few places that will rent to them. Mm. And so the hindrance from them being reunited with their children is that they don't have secure housing. And so, um, so that's an idea I have like in my mind is how could I somehow own apartment buildings or own some type of situation where it would be felon friendly, but also so that people could be reunited with their children. Yeah. So let's talk about this before I go back, you know, to your Mm -hmm. story, because you're touching on this whole criminal aspects, Mm -hmm. right? Of why this is important to you and something that um, happened to you. Mm -hmm. So, and you got married. You got married after you left WWE. I did. Mm -hmm. And can you talk to us about the steps and everything that happened? Yep. So um, when I left the WWE, I ended up volunteering at um, a nonprofit organization that's Christ-centered that helps people get off of drugs and alcohol. And so I worked in a few different departments there um, for over 10 years, but that's where I was working when I met my husband. And he worked in marketing and development. He had a history of addiction, but I didn't know him as someone that was addicted. I mean, he wore a suit and tie to work. He doesn't have any tattoos or look scary in any kind of way. You know, he's um, the music leader of a church and and also doing part-time Bible college. You know, so that's, anyway, when I got, met my husband, that's that's how we met, I guess. And then we fell in love and got got married in uh, 2010. And then what happened? Because I know that well, how long were you guys together before? Um, so I met him 
um, in July of 09, and we got married in July of 10. So okay. we knew each other one year. And um, it was actually really awesome because I've been on, like, thousands of dates, including dates uh, with, like, famous people who are now in movies and, like, really? you know, things where it's, like... But I never met anyone that I knew I wanted to marry. It's just always people where I was like, oh, yeah, they're really handsome or they're successful or they're funny or whatever. But when I met my husband, I was like, he's the one. He's wow. just the one. Like, there's certain things about him. For example, um, he he doesn't know anything about wrestling or show business or, like, he didn't care that I was ever on TV. That, like, meant nothing to him. Um, but he's someone who can... Um, very gently hold up the mirror where I have to see my own flaws and grow as a person without him like criticizing me or ridiculing me. Just very gently when I, when it needs to be done, we'll hold up the mirror and say, Hey, you have to take a look at yourself. Mm -hmm. And even though sometimes that's painful and, and it's uncomfortable, he, he's like someone who can support me through that and still say, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to have weaknesses and you know, we're going to wow. get through it and stuff. And so, so I knew that he had the confidence to, to, and care enough about me to sometimes let me see things about myself that are yeah. difficult to see. Wow. So how long were you guys married before a certain thing happened? Um, Which I'll let you, yeah, I so, you want to talk so about. So what it, you're so. alluding to, because you know, because you're my friend, I'll... I'll well, because you also said that it was okay and you wanted yes, to talk I about do. it. Because I would never ask anyone to talk about anything here yes. if they weren't comfortable. Yeah, so I, this doesn't typically come up in like wrestling interviews because it doesn't have anything to do with my pro wrestling life. Right. It's just... Um, but you know, it's, this is the, where are they now? And like and what chase for glory and all <laughs> and of these, what's, what's yeah. been happening and stuff. So, um, like I briefly mentioned, my husband did have a history of addiction before we met, um, even though I never saw that side of him. And, um, on our honeymoon, um, we got a phone call saying that his mom was dying. Oh, wow. I didn't and, know that. um, and he didn't know how to deal with that. And he, went to the liquor store and started drinking. And um, of course it's my honeymoon, so I didn't want to like cause a fight about it, but I had a knot in my stomach. I was like, uh-oh, like this, wow. this isn't good. Um, but then I was trying to be positive, like, well, maybe this is just a one-time thing or, you know, but, um, but addiction is a crazy monster. And, um, and it got out of hand really, really quickly. Um, he lost his job because of his addiction and, um, and it was just like, I mean, mass destruction is like the best way I can describe wow. it. It just and you escalated. Just, getting married. just married. So it was like here went from being the worship leader of the church and being a, a leader within the job that we both worked at and, and just really everyone just loved him and, and, um, to just seeing like a whole different side, I guess, um, it was really, really painful. Um, I mean, just an example, when we got married, he was six feet tall, weighed 215 pounds. And then fast forward after three years of mass destruction, um, he was arrested and um, he weighed 140 pounds. What? At six feet tall when he was arrested. And um, he got sentenced to 75 months in prison, so six years oh in prison. God. I remember you calling me during that time, mm -hmm. and I, I was so shocked. I was like, wait, what? Like, but that, in those three years, where, 
what what was happening with you? Like, what were you telling him or? Yeah, so I did all the things of like trying to manipulate and control him to behave. You know, everything from I'm like, oh, if I, there's this like saying that says, um, if you loved me, you'd stop, you know, mm-hmm. like, like how come you're choosing drugs and alcohol over me? And, and um, so one of the ways I try to manipulate is I thought, well, maybe his self-esteem is low. If I just every day tell him all the wonderful things about him and, and constantly like verbally give him, you know, praise that he'll like be so filled up inside that he won't use drugs and alcohol, you know, and then that didn't work. And then I thought, well, maybe if I like um, cry and sob and wail and beg him to stop, then maybe I'll stop. Well, that didn't work. Well, maybe if I threaten to harm myself, that's what I'll do. I'll threaten to harm myself. And then he'll feel so bad at what he's doing that he'll stop. And like, I just somehow thought that I could control or um, cure the addiction. Like if I just orchestrated circumstances correctly, then, then things would be different. And, and, um, and so I definitely was asking God, like, why is this happening? Like I waited to have sex till my wedding night. Like that was supposed to guarantee me a blessing of perfect marriage. <laughs> I may not say that in the Bible, but I was still convinced that that's that, right. That was, you were a virgin. Yeah, yeah I remember so that. I was like serious about honoring God in my life, and and I didn't just marry some guy because it was like, oh, I'm getting older now, I better get married. Like, no, like Gino is the one. You know, yeah. like he, um, and I, and I just know that he's the one, and so. It was definitely like a spiritual battle of like, how do I, um, how do I still trust God when I feel like betrayed somehow, like that I should have gotten something good and then this is not good. Um, And just that whole thing of like, okay, now I need to find out what's the lesson in this? Like, how can I grow as a person? But it's hard to, when you're in crisis, your world becomes so small, it's like, all you see is the crisis. You don't see anything else. And so it was really hard to like see anything good out of this pain. It's like, yeah. how? Like I thought we, I like had these ideas of us being in full-time ministry together and we're going to be out there together, like making a positive difference in this world and what a powerhouse team we are and like all these aspirations. And then all of that just like crushed and um, it definitely drained me. I mean, I, I was really, really sad. Yeah. <laughs> really sad. How did you get through it, Nora? Well, I couldn't get through it alone. I'll tell you that. The fact that I had this number one foundation in my Christian faith, and even though it felt strained because I was hurting, um, the church community that I was a regular part of, they really like, they call it interceding as like a churchy word for like prayed for me or kind of stood in the gap of when I was too exhausted to like even cry out to God that they would, they kind of came alongside me and prayed for me and encouraged me and like spoke visions of hope for my future and really were reminding me of the promises of God and reminding me that God has not abandoned me and pointing me to certain scriptures where there's a, a person in the Bible named David who had definitely gone through some serious troubles in life and him even expressing disappointments in God and but then also um, praise. And so like 
I feel like my church family really was a huge support. I also got involved with a 12-step group that helps people with addicted loved ones. Mm. And um, I did therapy and I did, and I have an awesome, loving, supporting family as well. So I feel like these networks that I had built up before the crisis really helped sustain wow. me through the crisis. Um, and so that was part of it. I also watched a lot of like Christ-centered marriage videos and they were saying, what if marriage isn't about happiness, but if it's about holiness? And it's saying like the American culture is, well, this person isn't making me happy anymore. And so I don't, I want out, I'm, I'm right. not happy. And this other idea that was presented to me is they're like, what if the purpose in life is your relationship with God and not necessarily a relationship with a human. Like, what if these human relationships are specifically designed to draw you closer to God? And crisis is one way to draw a person yeah, to God. True. And so it's just saying like, okay, maybe instead of me thinking, oh no, I failed as a person because my marriage isn't going how I thought it was going to go. Instead to say how, you know, God, draw me closer to you, like fill me up so much with your love that this particular circumstance isn't as big of a deal as I feel it is. If I can just put it in its proper perspective, instead of it just my crisis, just my whole world being focused on this crisis, if I can broaden my perspective and say, okay, God, fill me with so much peace that I can see that this problem of having an addicted spouse is just a sliver of my life, not my whole life. Wow. That's, uh, wow. So three years, mm -hmm. you watching him destruct himself. Yes. Now, because you can look back, mm -hmm. what could you have, or what, what, what should have you done in those three years? Like if somebody's in this situation right now, right. what would you advise them? Um, well, I wasted so much time and energy driving around, trying to find out where he is or who he's with or, um, pouring out alcohol, you know, if I find a bottle of alcohol, pouring it down the drain or like, like all this energy spent trying to force him to stop when I could have spent that time, like really building myself up, like really spending time with friends, um, doing hobbies that I enjoy, you know, exercising, getting good sleep. Like there's all these things that I did that, um, like I sacrificed my life and all the things I enjoy to try to put all my energies into forcing him to behave a certain way. And I think if I were to go back, I would spend, I would have just let his consequences fall naturally mm. and instead say, okay, during this season, he's not able to give, to meet my needs. He's just not yeah. mentally, spiritually, whatever, able to meet my needs. So I just have to be filled up with things I enjoy, with people I enjoy, you know, and that, I guess taking but good care of myself. I get that because you know people say you got to take care of yourself first. Obviously, mm -hmm. you have to. Otherwise, you're not there for somebody else, right? But at the same time, that feels. I've never been in this situation, so mm -hmm. trust me, I'm not judging. I'm yeah. just trying to understand, right? Yeah. That feels. If I had my spouse, put it this way, mm -hmm. you know, if I had my husband right now going off and whatever, for me to think that I should be taking care of myself doesn't feel right. It feels like I'm turning my back to him. If something were to happen to him, I don't know that I would ever forgive myself. So how do you yeah, process that? that? Was, that was a tough one. And when things were getting definitely towards the end or towards, I would say, the worst of it, 
before I, um, it was kind of like, okay, am I enabling by letting him still live in the house? Or what if I kick him out and then he goes to stay in some gross motel? Or what if he becomes homeless and lives in his car? And what if he dies of hypothermia in his car? And if he dies, it's my fault because I didn't let him stay in the house. And I, you know, so there was a lot of yeah. those type of feelings. And that's where I wasn't able to figure it out. And that's where I had to lean on my support system. You know, the 12-step group that's specifically for people with addicted loved ones, they, there's a lot of wisdom and knowledge in those groups, um, people who've been through it, and they share their experience. And I would take little bits of things that people said to decide, and for them to say like, it's okay if today you do nothing, or it's okay if today you do, you know, there's, it's like you don't have to make all the decisions at this exact moment. And so, um, so when I would come to those tough decisions where like, should he be kicked out or should I call the police or should, you know, those type of things, um, I had to reach out for help from either people who've been through it or people who know me really well and, and can see the broader perspective of what's happening. And, and um, so, yeah, I couldn't have made any decisions really because I was so emotional. I couldn't oh, yeah. have made any wise decisions without the help of others. Do you feel like you should have gone to that 12-step program earlier well, to know? Well, I feel like, well, I started getting the help right away, but it's, you can only absorb so much wisdom at a time. Some yeah. things just take trial and error. Because and, I could say, well, this person said to do that, but I don't believe it. And then I have to experience enough pain of my own to go, yeah. oh, well, maybe they did know what they were talking about. Yeah. So some of it and just in life in general for any person is that some of it you do have to make mistakes on your own right. to like really know, okay, this, whatever's causing me pain over and over again, that's just not working. All right, so he ends up going to jail. He's there for six years? Is that what he served? Yeah, or? so he, in Minnesota, you don't serve your full time that you're sentenced. So, um, so he actually went to prison for two years, qualified for a early release program got out on parole, and three months later, violated parole by using drugs and alcohol and oh. went back to prison for oh two more years. So I think but, that's the second <laughs> phone call I got from you. Yes. I was like, so, no way. So that sounds like, oh no, Nora, it's time to throw in the towel. He's obviously that's not what, gonna get better, yeah. you know. But the thing that was so freeing about the second time he went to prison is that the first time around with his addiction, I was so convinced that somehow it was my fault. Like, if only I was, I even had this, I get this, I had, I had this idea that if I was a better wife, you know, like that he would choose me over drugs and alcohol. But my main weakness as a wife is that I'm not a very good cook. I don't have a ton of cooking experience. And I thought in my mind, if I just knew how to cook better, Wow. Then, then he would choose me over drugs and alcohol. Wow. And, you know, and it was like, um, and so I was, but the second time I, when he relapsed, all of the circumstances were perfect. Like in his life, he had the perfect job. You know, we, we, our relationship was good. Like, um, our, he was welcomed back into the church community. Like all these things were good, but he relapsed and failed a drug test and went back. And it was a freeing because I was like, oh my gosh that had nothing to do with me. Like everything was fine. And he just chose to use drugs and alcohol and, um, and then suffered a consequence. And so it just really took like a weight off of me of like, this isn't my fault. Like this whole alcoholism and addiction, it's, um, it's so much more complex than just, yeah. oh, I didn't create the right circumstance. Like, no, it's deeper than that. Right. And, um, 
And so, so it was actually kind of a blessing. And another reason it was a blessing for him is because it was the first time that he was like, oh my gosh, I am an alcoholic. Like he oh, was in he denial through all it. of this. And he was so convinced that when he got out of prison, I don't know that maybe his addiction would be gone or that he wasn't really addicted or whatever, right. whatever his thought was. But, um, but that relapse was just this little light bulb went off in his head where he's like, I never thought I would go back to prison again. Right. Like how could somebody go back to prison a second time? Like how can you not learn your lesson? And so, so it was a huge turning point for him because he realized like this addiction stuff is serious. It's not a joke. Like this needs to be addressed. And then for me, it was just freeing and knowing that, oh, it's not my fault. Right. Do you think that it was a little too much? Um, I know that a lot has been talked about this, that someone who's in drugs and alcohol gets caught or something like that. And it isn't an addiction, but they get thrown in the slammer and they get thrown for so many years. Do you think the punishment is too big for the, the act? So I know that a lot of people right now are asking for criminal justice reform. And, and you know, there's a lot of things that are not good that do need to be changed. But for me, um, having my husband go to prison was somewhat of a relief because I thought, oh, good, now he's going to get food and he's going to get sleep and he'll get time for like his body to regenerate and his mind to regenerate. So as far as like the length of time, um, you know, I, I definitely think that one year and three years isn't going to make a difference. Like my, if, anyway, so I don't think that the sentences should be so long for addiction related crimes. Um, but it is, it does give family members a chance to sleep at night, oh, <laughs> knowing God. that their loved one is safe and, yeah. um, and that they're, they're going to be okay. Um, and so, but yeah, it's, I, I, six years was a pretty stiff sentence, yeah. um, for his crimes, but, um, but the, it did give me time to rest and sleep and for him to right. become physically healthy. Again. He's been out for how long now? So he, um, served the second sentence yeah. or the re the second third of his sentence and um he moved home in july wow so how has it been you know since yeah. he came home so, and um, what did does he see the silver lining in all of this yeah so it's um well what the really great things this like sounds terrible but while he was incarcerated he really once his mind became clear and he became healthy again like he really was an inspiration to a lot of people in prison mm. who are desperate and have no family and have no, like, are just, they feel like their lives are wasted. And so he was a really positive encouragement to a lot of people in there that were in really dark places. You know, whether he was praying for people or just, um, you know, letting them know, letting them know about God's love for them. And, and so I feel like he made a huge impact on tons of different inmates' lives um, just by being a positive light, you know, because wow. he is a believer and he, he loves the Lord and he wants to share that love. And even though he's had his own failures, like he knows that God still loves him. He knows that he's forgiven. And so there are lots of inspirational stories about people whose lives he's touched while on the inside. And then for me, while he was on the inside, I got to connect with different ministries that are either for people coming out of prison or for um, the loved ones of people who are incarcerated or addiction recovery ministries or um, codependent ministries or, you know, a lot, lot of different things. So there was um, positives throughout the experience that came from it from both of us. Wow, because if you wouldn't have gone through it, 
now you're helping other families. Now you can be like, I've been there. Right. I know what you're going through. It's the same thing as, as I know I didn't want to go through bulimia. I mean, that was horrible. But now I understand somebody else's pain or eating disorder. Or I recognize it when I see it in somebody and I'll go talk to them. Or, you know, or when I go to a facility that's eating disorder, I can definitely identify and talk right. to the girls there. You know, it's funny. You got to trust God. You got to trust his path. But um, for you... As hard as it's been, what is the biggest thing that's come out of this whole thing? How, how much did you grow up from this? Well, one of the things I think that was like a surprise blessing, I guess I didn't think about is, well, first, it's like awkward when someone says, oh, you're married, you know, like, because I see my ring or whatever. I'm like, yeah, I'm married. They're like, oh, what does your husband do? You know, or oh, is your husband coming to this thing? And like, you know, and he's incarcerated. Like I can't, it's right. like this weird thing. But if I do end up being in a situation and I'm not, I didn't always tell people where he was. Sometimes I just said, no, he can't make it or no, he's not going to be here. But if it turned out that I had to say that he was incarcerated, people would um, first show like sympathy, like, oh my gosh. But then they like instantly trusted me and then they would reveal something painful in their life. Mm. And it created a lot of like, human connection yeah. that maybe I wouldn't have ordinarily seen, you know, cause people see me and they might think like, Oh, she looks successful or educated or whatever that people might think just by how I dress or right. whatever type of thing that, you know, people make first impressions based on cultural expectations. And, um, so they might think of me a certain way. And so then when they say, Oh, her spouse is incarcerated, they're like, Oh, she knows what pain is or she, also has something that's embarrassing or shameful. And so then they'll tell me something. And, um, and then they, I don't know, they feel a connection. So that was like the little blessing that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been a good thing. Wow, wow. I mean, it really has been, I know, a tough journey for you, but also I know the kind of person you are now, what you're gonna run with it and help so many people through it. Even talking about it right now, on this podcast, you're opening up like never before about it. And you understand the amount of people that are listening to this, they either have loved ones that are in jail or are dealing with it, or they are the ones that are have that addictive personality and they're having a hard time accepting it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what would you say to somebody right now that's dealing with it? Um, well, that we can't help ourselves. <laughs> like there's, whether you're suffering from addiction or have an addicted loved one, there's like, because it's embarrassing, it's hard to reach out for help, but I would definitely suggest to anyone to go ahead and humble yourself and ask for help because there is, there is help out there. I mean, not just through 12-step groups, but in churches. And I mean, there's just tons of resources available. And um, even if it's like online resources or anonymous phone lines, like there's a lot of different ways. And so taking that first step can just be like a huge weight lifted off. I mean, sometimes even just confessing, because I believe that secrets are what just eat people alive inside. Like yeah. it just puts this heaviness on your whole life when you have secrets. So to be able to like share, even if it's like I said, an anonymous tip line or whatever type of mm -hmm. you know suicide prevention line, whatever type of thing, if you just by telling another human being what's going on that can just lift a huge weight off. Yeah, I think that people are so scared because they feel like they're gonna sound weak when actually 
it's stronger. You're more powerful if you do get the help. Right. I think it's completely opposite. It takes a big person to admit, yep, you know what? I do have a problem with this and I do need some help on this, you know, and, and that's beautiful. I yeah. think it's beautiful. All right. So, so in the, where are they now episode, you know, like I said, we're, you're coming off the fact that, you know, he's home now, you're mm-hmm. building. Was it, was it tough to get back as so husband I, and wife? I didn't know how that was going to work with like living together. I mean, really we only lived together for like a year and a half because the first year and a half of our marriage, he had been using drugs and alcohol. And then I actually did kick him out of the house and he was living in his car for about a year and a half before he got arrested. Wow. And, um, and so we, in our nine, eight and a half years of marriage, we only lived together a year and a half. Jeez. Yeah. That's crazy. Yep. And so it was like, I'm not quite sure how this is going to work out, but it has been really great. Like he's in a really great place spiritually, mentally, and I am too. So I feel, I mean, every now and then I'll have like a Sorry little, guys, we have a, a helicopter. LA helicopter. <laughs> They're looking for Nora right here. Molly Hall is right here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we'll let it just pass. Okay. <laughs> Go yeah. ahead. So I feel like because I'm in a spiritually and mentally and physically good spot, and so is he, um, the transition's actually been great. Every now and then something will happen that will remind me of the bad times, and I have to, like, work through that. And I'll just tell my husband, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm feeling anxiety because this reminded me of something in the past. Just bear with me mm. here as I work through it, you know, um, just little things that'll trigger a memory. And so I, I do have to work through that part of it. Um, but as far as us like getting along, like we, it's, it's just confirmation. Like, and, and I knew even throughout his suffering with addiction, like God put a piece in my heart that said, like, hang in there because they're like, this is temporary. And, um, and he never, physically harm me never he's never called me a bad name or bad word like nothing like he's mostly just harmed himself you know but um but I just knew I had this peace in my heart that God had given me that that he really that this marriage was ordained by God and it was meant to be and that these these trials are temporary and that I will grow as a person and that we will grow together and and I love being with my husband like I laugh so much and like he still is able to hold up the mirror when I need to yeah. address some of my, you know, problems uh, that I have within my character defects or whatever. Can we talk about that? Sure. Because it's come up a, a few times. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm glad that we've talked about him and, and, yeah. and because we had to talk about him because it affected you as well, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that because also it's very inspirational hearing that, you know, the journey and now what's happened. But. I've known this about you too, about some certain insecurities and all that you've had. Where, where did that get planted? Do you remember? When did that start in as childhood? As which particular character defect are you referring to? <laughs> <laughs> I've got a few. Yeah. Well, what just, and overall, like I know that you, like sometimes I'll pay you a compliment and it's hard for you to receive it. I, I don't know. I, I had an awesome upbringing, like really, like, even though I said my parents had certain views that maybe now I say, oh, maybe that isn't how I see the world. Um, I really grew up in a loving, affirming household. Um, my parents love each other and we, um, they're really, they are still really good to us kids. And, and so I don't know. I mean, if I were to like say, 
um, in school, I wasn't really popular or anything like that. And I know that I always wanted to be one of the cool kids. Mm, I tried like super me. hard oh, to be too. the cool kids. I mean, I tried everything and I just... It's the worst, right? Didn't when you quite, didn't quite <laughs> get too. in there. <laughs> I made it yeah. worse, too, by trying to force it. Oh, I made it so yeah, bad. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't really like a cool kid or anything. But, um, yeah, I don't, I well, don't did know. Did you have, because I know that we've talked about this before. Um, I remember that when you were Molly Holly, uh, you were having issues, weight issues with mm-hmm. the way you were like seeing yourself and you were mm-hmm. like, I'm much bigger than some of the, the divas that are here. And you were battling that and trying to be accepted and find your, your place there. Right. Um, but then I remember when you left, you told me that you actually, either you got a nutritionist or something and you were like, oh, if I would have known yeah. about the relationship with food like I do now, right. tell me what happened yeah. with all of that. So um, I, I had a friend who invited me to an addiction recovery church and he's like, I know you're not addicted, but I think you'd like this preacher or whatever. So I went there and then on the brochure, they had this group that said food addicts victorious, 7 p.m., and I was like, food addiction? Is that like a thing? I thought it was a joke, you know, like, oh, I'm addicted to chocolate, ha ha. Like, right. I didn't know that that was like a thing. And so I wanted to go to it, but I thought, well, what if everybody there is like much larger than me? And then they judge me and say, what are you doing here? Because I was relatively average sized. And um, so I went to this recovery group and there was one person larger than me and one person smaller than me. And they shared what was happening in their secret life with food. And, um, and I thought, oh my gosh, like I also eat in secret and I also eat so much that I say, I'm never doing that again. Tomorrow I'm going on a diet. And then, you know, like every day failing and they were just sharing all these things. And I thought, oh my gosh, like I have an actual problem that other people have. Like, I just thought that I'm don't have any willpower and, um, that I'm a weak person, but it turns out that, so with alcoholism, when somebody has a drink that creates a sensation of craving, which makes them want another drink and another drink. So for some people, they have that, instead of being allergic to alcohol, they have an allergy to processed sugar where their brain says, well, just one more. Well, just one more, just one more. Oh. And so I was always baffled by like, how can some people eat like half a piece of pie and then just push it away like, oh, that's too rich or oh, I'm full. I was just like, how do you do that? Because every time that I would eat something sugary, my brain said, ooh, just one more, just one more, just one more. No matter how much like physical pain it caused me, it didn't matter. It was like this unsatiable craving that would wake me up at night. Like, wow, it was, yeah. it was terrible. So I didn't know that it was like a thing. So, um, so I actually ended up getting help for food addiction through an eating disorder clinic, because I didn't, I knew about anorexia and bulimia. I learned about it in health class. I did not know that compulsive overeating was a division of eating disorders and that it was an addiction. And so, um, so I just got help. I went to a few different resources to get help for that. But I was someone who, I mean, I would, in catering in WWE, I would get there early and eat with the crew. And then I'd be like finding ways to be sneaking food back to the dressing room and like eating in the bathroom stall or um, trying to make sure that people didn't see me that I was eating all day long or. um, And man, food was accessible 24 seven. Right, right. And even 
I, so I had all these ideas that like, oh, well, maybe it's just the stress of show business. Like once I quit wrestling, then I'll be able to cook my own food and I'll be able to do portion controls because I'm not eating at restaurants. And I had all these ideas, but it wasn't the geographical cure. It wasn't, it didn't matter. The problem wasn't my circumstances. It was me. <laughs> the problem was me. <laughs> so wherever I went, there I was, you know? <laughs> so, um, so I actually... Um, got help. And I mean, there are some embarrassing, just one, just, just because I feel like this is something a lot of people throughout America may deal with and not even know that it's something you can get help with. Cause everybody's like, Oh, I heard about this diet pill or went on this diet. There's this latest trend in diet. It's not about a diet. It's about addiction. And just one of the worst moments for me was that I was craving sugar so bad. And I went through a drive through and they said, okay, we have two hot apple pies for a dollar. And I was like, I'm just gonna get one. I'm just gonna get one. I'm just gonna get one. I pull up to the window. They say, we have two for a dollar. Do you want two? And I was like, yes. And then they hand me two hot apple pies. And keep in mind, I've probably been eating all day. I probably consumed 5,000 calories, whatever, but I still needed it. And I could not wait for it to cool down. I, had, I would drive with my knees. I was eat, um, holding one hand out the window to cool down one of the pies and I was shoving the other one in my mouth wow. as it's burning me. It's scalding my mouth, burning my tongue, burning my throat. And I could not put it down. It was like, I needed that sugar in my body so badly that it did not matter how much it hurt. Wow. And I was like, what in the hell is wrong with me? Like I, it was that type of extreme, yeah. extreme behavior that was, and I just hated myself for it. I was like, I'm already not on the cover of any magazines because I'm overweight. They're already making fun of me on TV for having a fat ass or whatever. And so you think like, well, Nora, they're making fun of you. Shouldn't you stop eating? And the fact that I couldn't and that it was like so humiliating and every day being yelled at by fans about how fat you are and to know like I can't stop. And, um, and so when I found out that, no, Nora, you're not this weak person who can never follow a diet. You're someone who actually, whose brain reacts differently to sugar than other people. The reason why other people can diet or just have half a Twizzlers and be fine is because their body doesn't respond the same way yours does. So all of a sudden, all this like self-hatred kind of sort of disappeared because I was like, oh, I'm experiencing something different than other people. Yeah. And um, so now I've actually been 10 years abstinent from processed sugars. Whoa. Well, how did you do it though? How did they make you finally not miss it? Um, well, it took about a year of absence before the cravings went away. A year? Yes. <laughs> but how do you stay, if you can't even control yourself where you're holding out the, yeah. hot, the hot apple so pie? It was actually through a sponsor and through 12 steps. So accountability, daily accountability. I needed end therapy. I went to an eating disorder clinic and got therapy. I also did the 12-step group, and then I also had what they call a sponsor, so someone that, that holds you accountable for what you're eating. There was like a detailed plan of eating that you have to report to your sponsor, and if anything goes off of the plan, then you need to call the sponsor and say, hey, I was gonna eat this, but my dog ate it, so, and then you don't get to make the decision for yourself. The sponsor helps you choose what to eat. So I don't do that anymore. But, but did when, that bring you, oh, go ahead, finish that thought. That's how I had to transition from being completely out of control is that I had to rely on someone else to tell me what to do and to hold me accountable for what I was doing before I could learn 
and get away from the cravings. But I gotta say that like already bring, for example, with the bulimia, you mm-hmm. know, I got to a point where I had to write down. And I mean, it's been so long ago, I don't remember exactly everything, but I do remember that I had to write down everything that I was eating um, and, and get it to a point where it, it started creating anxiety though, like crazy for me. Um, and where it created so much anxiety that I actually wanted to eat more. So how does it not create anxiety? Yeah, so for me, um, from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed, my mind was going, maybe I want something crunchy, maybe I want something spicy, I don't want something sweet, I don't want something warm. And it was, and then I'd eat something, I'd be like, no, that wasn't it. Maybe I wanted, you know, something um, that was creamy. No, maybe I wanted, you know, and I'd, my mind was constantly thinking about food. And so by having um, a sponsor um, work with me on pre-deciding what I was going to eat, then my mind was free to not be thinking, what do I feel like eating? I get that, but how do you, when you finish that meal, yeah. how do you not, how do you go, okay, uh, that didn't fill me up enough. Like, what if you didn't feel full? So um, a licensed dietitian or a nutritionist is the one that makes the food plan and it will be enough for your body and activity level. Mm, okay. So you might think that's not enough, but yeah. the professional decides what's enough for you. Okay. You don't get to decide. And then your sponsor just helps hold you accountable for what the dietitian or nutritionist has decided wow. is appropriate for your height, weight, muscle mass, and activity level. Yeah. So you feel better without the sugar? I feel so awesome. I can walk by Cinnabon at the mall and not even crave it. I have zero sugar cravings. My, my mind is free. The best part about quitting sugar is that my mind is free to think about other things. I mean, I thought about sugar and food every day, all day long, and it did harm my relationships because I used to be at some like social setting and I'd see a plate of goodies over in the corner and I'd be talking with someone and I'd be thinking, when are they gonna go to the bathroom so that I can run over there and shove as much of that in my face and come back without them knowing? Or how can I lie and say, oh, I'm getting these for my friend and really run into the bathroom and eat them so that nobody sees me, you know? So that type of thing where I wasn't engaging with people, I was just tethered to the food table. It's like, that's not a problem anymore. Like I, now I'm I'm free to engage with people that I love and and, um, the food isn't, and my life isn't all about trying not to eat something. Mm, that's um, that's great. I'd and like I feel to get through it, yeah. so. The the best lesson through that was that um, when I when my husband was going through his addiction stuff, I feel like because I know what it's like to do something you don't want to do and how you um, can fail. I'm never doing that again, and then still do it because I had a deep understanding of that with my food addiction. I think that gave me more grace and support for him to be like he doesn't want to be addicted, you know, like. And so I feel like for me, being in that season of being out of control helped give me compassion for my husband and his season. Yeah, wow. Again, that's exactly what I say. Like sometimes we go through things we don't understand why, but Mm -hmm. later on it makes sense because you just said it. You being addicted to food helped when he was so addicted to drugs and alcohol. Oof, yeah. So your other, uh, these... So much happening in LA tonight, I tell you what. <laughs> we decided to go and sit out here and have a nice little, like you said, on the rooftop, yeah, the rooftop right? right? <laughs> and then, um, your other 
insecurities, though, that you were saying you were, you know, battling through or something? I mean, what's the best way to get through that? And what, what do you feel was your biggest insecurity that you battle? Um, I guess I don't know if I could put a label on it. I mean, as far as, like, my character defects or things I need to work on or... Um, you know, I could have a tendency to be, um, so there's different ways of trying to be, get what you want, different forms of manipulation. And one of my go-to manipulations is to be dramatically sad or like, I am a crier, but, um, but a lot of times, um, it's brought to my attention that it's okay to want something different or to disagree, but there's not necessarily a need to be overly dramatic mm. about it with the um, woe is me or the sensationalizing. I can definitely have a habit of sensationalizing a situation um, to somehow try to force a result. You know, so those, those things I continually work on to say, hey, if I want my way, how can I do it honestly and openly without trying to be like, oh, if I just can evoke a certain emotion from someone, then they'll do it my way because yeah, so manipulating. Better, you know? Yeah, yeah. manipulating. So you know, I still work on that. But I don't. You know, I love that you talk about it though, because I think all of us have something. Oh my God, we all do. We all do, but not everybody is willing to admit it. Not everybody is willing to be like, yeah, you know, I can actually work on that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but I think that that's what happens. The best relationships. My husband and I have an amazing relationship, and I think because we do have a conversation, and sometimes we do frustrate the hell out of each other. You know, mm -hmm. then I'll look at him and I'll, I'll go, okay, gloves down. This is not making any sense. Let's really get down to yeah. what what we're really trying to get here. Right. And I, I'll never forget the other day too. I said something to him and he turns around and he's like, what? You want me to do da 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 and, and I looked at him and I said, what did you hear me say? And he goes, wait, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, because I heard this and I went, no, that is not what I said. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I think if we all just stop for one second, because we immediately react. Mm -hmm. And I think that being reactive like that is um, you're hearing something that necessarily maybe it's not even being said. Right. Um, I could talk to you all day I long. I was going to say, I was like, I, we got to go to bed. <laughs> I know that you have to go, yeah. Um, and I definitely want to invite you back because you're just so fascinating. You've got so many, like, real lessons, real life lessons. And I just have to say, like, it's beautiful, everything that you've gone through and the fact that you stood by him and you've grown in this relationship with him. And now the two of you are being so impactful in the world. Is that the way you feel? Yeah, it's it's still new, you know, so there's still like little fears like, oh no, what if disaster happens again? And truthfully, I have no control over if he uses drugs and alcohol. And I don't even know if I would relapse with my food addiction. Like I've been good for a long time, but I don't know. So there's a part of me that I try not to like dwell in the waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, yeah. type of thing. I try to just really enjoy every blessing and every moment um, of how things are now. Like I said, I feel really content. Like my life feels super happy and good and very low stress. And um, you working for the wrestling academy no. as a trainer or is that not? No. It's like I, all over the place that you were that a coach. I did that for like a week. Really? Yeah. It's Devar like written. It's because Davari was always like, she's the best coach on the planet. The kids love her. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I coached her for like a week. <laughs> like, no. Wikipedia I, still has you being coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I, Is that I something, know, do you miss wrestling? No, I no. do not miss wrestling at all, at all. I Why? Just, 
because I, I feel like I accomplished everything that there possibly was to accomplish. And there's nothing left for me there, like nothing. Including being, I think you were the first woman and maybe the only woman to have a head shaved. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I mean that, you know, I'm glad. I mean, I'm very thankful that I had the career. I got to see the world. I got to make a lot of money, meet interesting people. Like, I'm very glad that it happened, but I just don't want to do yeah. that anymore. Yeah, um, I think there's seasons in our lives. Yeah. And you have that, and I think that... Um, the amount of physicality also, your body's probably like, no, thank yeah, you. Yeah, and just there's there's a lot of stress on live. When you're doing live television in front of millions of people, that's that's a lot of stress. And yeah. my life is so low stress right now that I'm mm. like, I, I like it. You know, it. it's How wild when we were at Evolution together. I even noticed that we were on the red carpet together. Mm -hmm. and you came out, you snapped some pictures, and then before we could even just get in the line to do the interviews, you're like, I'm good, see ya. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't, um, I don't know. I, I just don't like being in front of the camera or being uh, a performer on stage. I, I but just, is that, do you think it's because you criticize yourself too much? Um, I don't know, I think it's just that I, I'm just disinterested. Yeah. And I know that people are like, well, how can you be the best in the world at something at one season of your life and not even like it the next season? Like, that doesn't make sense. But really, I just feel so complete in my yeah. career. Is it nice when you get invited back to your Oh, like yeah. It's, I, I like to be remembered, of course, you know. So And um, everyone's very nice, and they treat me. It's like, in my ordinary life, Nobody picks me up in a limousine, <laughs> you know? So, like, it is kind of fun to be yeah. like, oh, this limo is for me, you know? And it makes yeah. me feel special, I guess. So when I go back there, they do make me feel very special. Um, but I just I don't like the performing part. So if they would just pay me by, to pick me up in a limousine and then let me hang out backstage <laughs> with everyone and then I just get to go home, I'd be like, yes, I'm in. As long as I don't have to, like, go on TV and you do that thing. Out. You know? Yeah, it's too much. I mean, I had nightmares for like seven years after wrestling. Really? Just like nightmares about yeah. being on live television. Well, I say really, but I was there with you. I mean, I definitely, I remember night, some nightmares, literally trying to get to the ring to announce yes. and I wasn't making it through the curtain on time. And I'll never forget, I actually had a dream where I was backstage in the gorilla position doing all my ring announcements because <laughs> I didn't make it out <laughs> to the ring yeah. in time. I had the same thing. It's like, I was supposed to be wrestling, but the big show is doing a pre-tape with Vince McMahon right in the way and I can't interrupt their pre-tape yet my music is playing and my shoes are untied and oh, why am I wearing Terry Reynolds outfit? And, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> This is not going well. <laughs> I love it. There <laughs> we go. It is true. It is true. There's the pressure of it. Yeah, you do have those dreams. You reminded me about that. You forget about it after a while. After a while, yeah, right? The worst nightmares are definitely where I'm wearing, like, Sable's outfit or something. I'm like, this, this is about as bad as it gets. <laughs> well, you know what I love about it? You never gave in to what that era was all about, right? You stayed true. Even when they were like, we're going to do brown panties or something like that, you always wore grandma underwear. Yeah. I was like, this is not going to be erotic. It is going to be hilarious. Because <laughs> you weren't comfortable uh, with no. that. Because no, that's just I'm like, like my, you are. I'm like, my dad is, his friends, his truck driving friends watch his show. I don't want them, I don't want my dad being embarrassed by what I'm doing out there. Like, I... yeah. Yeah, I just wasn't um, wasn't into it. But thankfully, you know, it all worked out. I mean, yeah. I was able to turn some things into comedy. And maybe I didn't get every opportunity and I was on the cover of every magazine or anything like that. But I don't know. I 
I felt that um, that it all worked out all right. It has because you you've definitely made an impact. And even when you come back, I feel like you feel surprised when you get the pop, when you hear the pop that you get when you come through the curtain. Well, I I was especially for the Rumble um, in January because I hadn't been on TV in like ten years or something, and I walked out there. And everybody went crazy. They're like on their feet screaming just when I, and I was like, oh my gosh, they remember me. Like, oh, that's so nice. So, I mean, yeah. that was, that was nice. Yeah. Well, it's really great that you've been invited back and I get to see you too. Yeah. And I got invited back and now <laughs> here we are. Thank you so much. I just continued success in Thank what you, you do. Like I said, you're impacting the world and it's so beautiful what you're doing and your heart, you're a light. I always say you're a light in this world and we need more people like you. Thank you. <laughs> and I want you to be a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. <laughs> so you can turn around and do some amazing, powerful things with that. So, um, yeah, keep in, keep in touch and uh, please. <laughs> and how, how do people follow? You're not on social no, media. No, I'm not on social media. I'm, they can't follow me. <laughs> no, I mean. That's just because you just, why? Why no social media for um, you? Because it gets exhausting because, like, thousands of people request to be your friend. And if you then you're just like clicking accept, 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 accept. But then I don't know. It just seems like a time consuming thing that I I don't have anything to promote. I'm not. Um, it would just be like, oh, here's me going to the grocery store. Oh, here's me <laughs> going for a jog around my neighborhood. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm like, I don't, I just am not yeah. into it. No, I get it. If I, get, I was, look, it's not for if everybody. I was working towards a goal and I want people to like support me in my dream, I would probably get one. And maybe I will someday in the future if something comes up where that right. seems appropriate. But just for my ordinary simple life, it, it just doesn't like fit, yeah. I guess, with what no. I'm doing. So. Well, the best to you and Gina. Thank you. I, I really will be praying for him, too. Thank so, you. Both of you. Love you. Love you, too. Chasing Glory with Lillian Garcia. Am I right? A total huge light in this world. That is what Molly Holly is. Nora Greenwald. Love that girl. So many incredible things that she revealed in this. And I told you guys it was going to be very, very impactful and um, just just full of lessons. And one of the biggest lessons that I think, you know, was shared was definitely don't wait for the other shoe to drop. How many times have good things been happening? And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, everything's going too good. Something bad has got to be happening right around the corner. And if you think that way, I promise you it will happen because you kind of put that out there and you got to just be grateful when good things are happening and just know, just say, this is sustainable. This is sustainable. This is the way that life is supposed to be. And just keep thinking that way. And if something does go wrong, know I can get through anything. I can get through anything. All right. So don't wait for the other shoe to drop. But if something does happen, just know that you can get through it all. And then that way you can help others too when they're going through stuff, right? So it's another way of us helping each other out. So again, thank you for subscribing to the show, for following the show, for reviewing the show. All those things actually help Chasing Glory go through the roof. And we're going to be giving you more and more updates and continue the Women's History Month celebration that we've got going on. Can't wait for you guys to see who else I've got this month. So excited. But for now, like I said, just keep following the show, keep spreading it. 
And uh, yeah, just go out there and live with much peace, love and passion, as I always say. And remember to always be yourself and trust that it's enough. I love you guys. Bye. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us here on Chasing Glory from executive producer Lillian Garcia. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends and be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.